I was teaching at a prominent seminary a few years ago, and the opening speaker for the Theological Institute got up in the first meeting of the Institute and said as follows, seeing as how the board has not seen fit to renew my contract, there are some things I've been meaning to say. <laughs> and he got out a howitzer, and I'm just slipping down in the seat. I told the president of the seminary, are you out of your mind? You don't fire somebody and then stick them in the lectern of a theological institute. He said it was too late. We already printed the brochures. That man was irritated about some things that he was going to finally get off his chest. I'm irritated this morning, and I'm going to do the same thing. <laughs> do, you, do you know what irritates me? And you say, of course, you're old. You're irritated about everything. <laughs> no, I mean, besides that, do you know what irritates me? The people who always put a kicker on the gospel, the qualifiers, you know them, you've seen them everywhere. Jesus loves you. Yay, I'm going to speak in tongues and dance. And then they say, but don't let it go to your head. <laughs> Jesus died for your sins. That's so good. All of them, I'm covered. Yes, now, what will you do uh, for him? Don't forget the cross. I think about it all the time, man, that he would love me that much and that profoundly and that deeply. Settle down. God calls you to change your world. <laughs> Spit. They ruin it. They give it with one hand, and then they take it with the other hand. They're the same people who talk about easy believism and cheap grace. Listen, if this thing requires a lot of heavy lifting, and if it's not free, then I don't have a prayer. And the good news is not the good news to me. Let me tell you about talking about the third use of the law. And you say, what's that? You don't need to know, but it has to do with you being better and better every day, every way, because of the law. I have a friend who said to me, I believe sort of in the third use of the law, but everybody's angry at me because I don't qualify everything. I'm tired of the qualifiers. Well, me too. And I thought I would say something. Jesus loves you, period. Deal with it. <laughs> you, don't, you, you, don't, you don't have to do anything. Deal with it. You're forgiven. And right now, half of you are thinking, yeah, but you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. You're forgiven. For God's sake, deal with it. 
all my ministry, and I've been doing this a lot of years, every time something bad happens to some Christian, they say, what did I do wrong? A professional football player who had a career-ending injury told me when I visited him in the hospital, I'm looking at my life, and I know that God is disciplining me. It doesn't matter whether you've got jungle rot or have been through a divorce or can't get your act together and everything is screwed up in your life. Will you, for God's sake, quit saying, what have I done wrong? There is no place in the church where there are more kickers. No place in the church where there are more qualifiers than people who teach the text we're going to study this morning. I'm going to start uh, in the 12th chapter of Hebrews, and I'm going to start reading at the third verse of that 12th chapter. Listen and try to put aside everything you've been taught about these verses in the past. This is what the writer of Hebrews says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son, parenthetically, daughter, whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children. If you're reading the King James, that reads bastards. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not so much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. He disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. There are those, and I repent because I've done it myself, who've said God loves you, but Hebrews 12 says that if you get out of line, God will break your legs. Yes, you are a child of God, but if you mess up, if you sin, if you fall, then you better watch it because God will give you cancer. 
He will take your child away. You will live a life of pain and sorrow. Listen, that's not God. That's a child abuser. And frankly, I'm fed up. I'm mad as I'm mad. <laughs> and I'm not going to take it anymore. Let me tell you something about discipline. Some things you ought to remember that I'm going to review for you that you will find very helpful. First, there is no direct correlation between your sin and God's discipline. You don't fool me. It's Sunday morning. This is as good as you get. <laughs> I've got your number. I know everybody in this place. And if there were a correlation between your sin and God's discipline, you would have jungle rot. You would have died long before now. Did you know that I have sometimes preached my best sermons and I preach some real bombs. But sometimes I preach my most powerful sermons at a time when I was committing my worst sin. Now, God says, don't be presumptuous about that. But it just wanted to show you there is no direct correlation. People don't get AIDS because God hates them because they're gay. What about the gay children? What? Well, just remember that. Secondly, the Greek word for discipline means restraint and instruction. All the writer of Hebrews is saying is that God is sovereign and he loves you a lot. It's saying that God knows best. When you've done it yourself, you've screwed it up. You've gotten hurt. It turned dark and the lights went out. So God's going to keep you on a road that blesses you. Restraint and instruction. Thirdly, are you taking notes? Because I want you to review this later. It's very important. There is no disconnect between God's grace and mercy and love, unconditional, and the way he disciplines you. He's not a child abuser. And if he is straightening out your life and making things better for you, and he does it harshly in a mean way and beats you over the head with a Bible and makes you feel shamed, makes you feel guilty and want to become a Buddhist, it doesn't come from God, okay? Fourthly, God's discipline is short-lived. Before you go to bed tonight, read Psalm 103. And after you read that, go to the ninth chapter of John, where the blind man who has been blind from birth encounters the physician who has been a physician for all of eternity. And the disciples say, man, his parents, or he must have really screwed up bad. And Jesus corrects them. Oh, no. 
for the glory of God. So if you've had a, what's, what's that old thing about the man who went to the fortune teller and said, and she said, you know, you're going to be broke and miserable and in pain until you're 35 years old. He said, good heavens, what, what's going to happen after that? She said, you'll get used to it. <laughs> That's not God. It's short-lived. And then fifth, discipline is clearly defined. You don't ever have to say, what did I do wrong? There isn't a correlation between discipline and your sin, but there is a correlation between discipline and knowing what it's about. I have a friend whose father spanked my friend every evening when he came home from work, whether my friend did anything bad or good. And he said, I'm doing this because I know you did something bad today. God's not that way. Every time I've been disciplined, and it's rare, every time I've been disciplined, I've known exactly what God was doing and why he was doing it. And when I had an attack of sanity, I praised him for it. And then the sixth fact you ought to have in your notes is that always, in every place, every time, when God disciplines his own, he hugs his own. And sometimes the hug is so total and so absolute that I almost want to be disciplined so I can get it. Now, if anybody told you different about discipline, they lied to you. I have a friend, former student, Tim Gulick, and his wonderful wife, Annette. They're missionaries now. And he told me the story about one of his uh, experiences with his father. He said when he was a little kid, he said his father spanked him as he went off to school. And he said, I didn't deserve a spanking. I had done that much that bad. And he said, but I was miserable. When I got to school, there was an announcement on the speaker system that said, would Tim Gulick come to the office of the school? Your father is here. And he thought, oh, oh, how could he do this to me? Wasn't it enough what I got this morning? What in the world is he going to tell me? Is he going to shame me in front of all of my friends? And Tim said very slowly, he made his way down to the stairs, to the rotunda of the school, and his father was standing there. And when Tim showed up, his father got on his knees and began to weep and said, Son, I want to ask your forgiveness. You didn't deserve what I did to you this morning. When Tim tells that story, he cries. And at graduation, I met his father, and I said, I don't know you. but I don't know you at all, but I recognize the smell. You're my hero, and you smell like Jesus. That's God. Try to remember that. 
Well, I'm over my irritation. I got two or three things to tell you that are all good news. And they're all from this text. Please note in this text that when the writer of Hebrews talks about discipline, he says that discipline has a purpose. And the purpose is to make you holy. You say, I don't want to be holy. I'm just not that religious. Do you, you know what holiness is? Don't let them tell you different. Holiness is hanging out with Jesus, partying with Jesus, walking with Jesus, thinking about Jesus so much that you start smelling like Jesus, okay? That's what holiness is. And discipline should never be taught apart from 2 Corinthians 4, 15. I'm constrained by the love of Christ. God's making me holy. This old scoundrel, this old cynical preacher, who still, you'd think by now I'd get it right, but I haven't. This cusser and spitter, this, this one who says, Jesus, if you really wouldn't, if you really love me, this wouldn't happen, who has the doubts that we sang about this morning. I'm holy. Because the Greek word means to be set apart, to walk with Jesus until you start smelling like Jesus. He's making you holy. Look at the, uh, the 10th verse. For they disciplined for a short time as seemed best to them. He disciplines us for our good that here it comes sports fans wake up that we may share in his holiness now let me show you something else not only is god disciplining you to make you holy mixing his love brian chapel has a wonderful story about his his wife, who they were at the zoo and their little kid wandered into the cage of a vicious animal. And Brian said, she didn't jump up and say, kid, come out of there. I'm going to break your face. She didn't say, you're going to get it. That animal's going to eat you alive. She said, honey, look at me. Come over here and give your mommy a kiss. That's the discipline of holiness. And secondly, not only is God disciplining you to make you holy, he is not disciplining you to make you his, but he disciplines you because you, listen to me, you're already his. I'll tell you about the time I almost blew up an old lady with a cherry bomb. This is not to be emulated, kids. <laughs> but, you know, we went to South Carolina and got them. We ought to throw them. And I didn't see that old lady on the front porch in the rocking chair. And then I said to my friends, I was in the back seat, and I was the one who threw the bomb. And I said, you know, we got to go back. I think I killed her. And, he said, and we went back, and she wasn't there. 
Evidently, I missed her altogether, but when I got home, the police had been there. My father said, son, sit down, and I sat down. He said, what'd you do tonight? And I said, and I'm thinking inside, there's no way he knows by now. He's not, he's not omniscient. I said, well, I was out with my friends, and he said, he said uh, throwing cherry bombs. And I went, oh, shoot. Well, over the next two days, I went to see the police. <laughs> we went to see the son of the old lady I almost killed. <laughs> he was not happy. <laughs> she was fine. Um, uh, I, uh, I asked forgiveness of more people than you can imagine. But let me tell you the rest of the story. My father went with me every place I went. Not only that, every time I asked forgiveness, he had his arm around me. Every time I was shamed, he pulled his arm and hugged me. And when it was over, we had pizza, and he never brought it up again, ever. That's God. That's discipline. As the text says, because you're his own. Because he loves you. Because he wants you to be free. Because he wants you to dance. Because he wants you to laugh. Because you're so sour when you get religious. He is instructing. He is straightening out. He is restraining, not so that we'll be nice and pure and sweet and honest and faithful all the time, but because we're his, and he wants what's best for us. And then I got one other thing, and I'm out of here. I'm as hungry as you are. Not only does the discipline come because he's making you holy, and not only he's not making you holy to make you his own, you're already his own, deal with it. Thirdly, when he disciplines you, you will like it a lot. You don't believe that because you really believe that God breaks legs when you get out of line. I've been doing this a long time. He doesn't. When you're disciplined, and if you don't like it, you don't get it. Do you know where I was three weeks ago? Ocean Grove, New Jersey. I didn't want to be there, and I was irritated about being there. And besides, I had to land in Newark, and Newark is not my favorite city. I am... Um, the GPS quit on me, and I got lost in Newark. And I knew it was my attitude. I got a map, and I got it upside down. I got lost 11 times. I, I got to Ocean Grove at 2 a.m., and there's this big auditorium. I found that, but I didn't know where I was going to stay. You can't drive it up down the streets at 2 o'clock in the morning. There was an old lady there walking her dog. And I said, could I talk to you? And she looked at me like, I'm going to get killed or raped or something. And I said, no. I said, I'm going to be in that auditorium tomorrow twice. 
I'm a preacher and I'm lost and she's backing away. And I'm thinking, she's going like, sure you are. And I said, really? And I don't know where I'm staying. Can you help me? And she kind of eased up. And she ended up being an angel. She took, she took me to the place, and I got in, got a little bit of sleep before I had to speak the next morning. Oh, I forgot to tell you. When I went to pick up my rental car, and I drive the little subcompacts because it's Jesus money. They gave me the place where I was going to pick up the car, and I went out there. You know what it was? It was a top-of-the-line SUV. And I went back in, and I said, son, I'm a preacher. I can't, you gave me the wrong car. I can't afford that kind of car. And he started laughing. He said, God must like you a lot. He said, we ran out of subcompacts, and that's your car. You know what else happened to me last week? I was in a major automobile accident. Wasn't my fault. This sweet kid, girl, 16, rammed me. The airbags came out. I thought I was going to die. I mean, and I felt around, and I was doing all right. It's going to cost $8,000 to fix on my Honda Accord. It's going to take three weeks to a month to repair, and I don't have a scratch. I'm not sore. It's fine, and she's fine too, and it's going to be okay. I rented the car from Enterprise. They allow you $25 a day, and that is what you pay for a subcompact. I was going to have to drive all the way to Fort Lauderdale, and I don't mind. I, you know, that's fine. I drive a lot of those. And, when, and I kidded the guy at Enterprise when he didn't have a car, and he said, come back at four, I'll have one for you. I came back, and he was grinning. And he said, sign this, and I'll go get your car. And he left and came back, and he said, he stuck his head in the door, and he said, Mr. Brown, come here. And I went out, and it's another SUV top of the line. <laughs> and I said, son, I can't afford that. I'm a preacher. And he said, I know. God must like you. He does. He really does. And I'm not going to be too specific about why both of those things happened, but I know. <laughs> But even in the middle of the discipline, I'm driving a cool car. <laughs> because those two pagan young men, they didn't know the truth they spoke. God loves you, but he likes me a little bit more than he likes <laughs> you. I'll tell you about my friend Rusty, and I'm, fin I'm, I'm really finished now, but I'm, uh, my friend Rusty Anderson, he's in heaven now. I miss him a lot. He was killed in an automobile accident. And uh, I still miss talking to him. It's been five years, six years. And my best friend, he, he told me one time, he said, our granddaughter was, he, he was a stockbroker. He's a graduate of Westminster Seminary. Never going to be a pastor. He just wanted to know more than his pastor knew. 
drank like a fish and cussed like a sailor, and I never, ever met anybody who loved Jesus more. And he said, Steve, let me tell you what happened today. He said, our granddaughter was here, and she did something bad, and I said to her, honey, don't do that. And she said to me, I'm sorry, granddaddy. And he said, Steve, within five minutes, she did it again. And I said, honey, I told you, don't do that. And she said, I'm so sorry, granddaddy. And he said, within five minutes, she did it the third time. And I said, I told you not to do that. And she said, I'm sorry, granddaddy. And I said, sorry is not enough. And then I heard God speak. And he said, funny, it was enough for me. It was. And if you listen to what I taught you this morning, you know why. You think about that. Amen. Thanks for listening. And as a small thank you, make sure you check out our free digital magazine. Just visit us at keylife.org slash digital magazine.